everyone, and welcome back to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Spratt, a writer for FootballOutsiders.com, part of Edge Sports. We're about a week and a day away from the NFL draft finally being here. Definitely getting excited about that. And as a way to prepare, we're going to have, have on Derek Klassen, also from Football Outsiders, but a prospect expert, to help me go through some of the major rookies and how they may fit from a fantasy perspective. We're going to do a Dynasty rookie draft, at least the first round of one. And that's all I have to start with. So without further ado, let's head over to Derek. Okay, joining me on the line today is Derek Klassen, a frequent guest of the Football Outsiders Fantasy Podcast. He's a writer for Football Outsiders and some other places which you can update us on, but specializing in college game, college prospects in the NFL draft, a perfect person to talk to leading up to the NFL draft, kind of taking that from a fantasy perspective. Derek, what's been going on? I'm sure you've been super busy of late. Yeah, definitely, definitely been busy this draft season. Thankfully, my uh, quarterback project that I do, my quarterback charting project, finished up a few weeks ago. So not nice. quite as hectic now. Now that we can just kind of coast into the draft, but uh, definitely another busy draft season. But I'm glad it's uh, kind of rearing down now. Well, with some of the the really top quarterback prospects in this year's class, I bet we'll talk about at least one of them later on. But for the general point of this uh, episode is I want to go through a a rookie draft like you would in a typical dynasty league, uh, just going alternating with picks. I'll let you go first since you're the guest, but going one through 12, a typical first round uh, and each of us kind of trading off and then getting your expertise from a scouting perspective on where some of these guys might stack up with each other. Uh, I think that's probably all we need to know. So since you have the first pick, it seems like a lot of leagues are kind of picking between the big three running backs. You have Travis Etienne, Najee Harris, and Javante Williams. Curious if that's where you're going, and if so, which of those three stands out to you as as the likely top pick in a fantasy draft? Yeah, so for me, and and maybe this also comes down to how I view them, just like how I would take actual NFL players, but to me, the difference between Etienne versus Harris is not even so much a matter of quality of prospect. It's just a matter of what you think an idealized version of a running back is. And I think Etienne, if you want someone who's going to be a little bit more explosive, perhaps a little bit more inconsistent, but is going to just straight up win you games sometimes, Mm -hmm. I think Etienne is the pick. But for me personally, I would have, I would rather have someone who just brings a significantly higher floor to the offense and to a game um, and can really fit in in a lot of different ways. I mean, Harris, I think, is such a clean runner. I think he does a really good job of fixing broken plays and getting yards that really don't deserve to be there. Um, I think he does a really good job, um, you know, being a pass catcher out of the backfield. And he can sometimes split out as a wide receiver. You know, he's not James White. Nobody's going to mistake him for that. Um, But I think he's a really good pass catcher overall. Um, the one worry with him compared to Etienne is he doesn't necessarily have all that breakaway speed, but I think he's just such a consistent runner in everything that he does that Harris is probably my pick here because it just feels like I know exactly what I'm going to get out of him. So it's interesting because when you look at Harris, you can tell that he's, he looks different than these other two prospects. He's definitely like taller, seems bigger. He's 232 pounds, whereas the other two backs are in the two teens kind of range. But what's interesting is they all shake out with between a 30 and 31 BMI. Just the other guys are a little bit more compactly built. But do you think Harris is going to have like a major advantage working near the goal line, potentially scoring touchdowns, that type of thing? I, I think so. I mean, mm. ju- I mean, just like you said, it's and it's not just that he's so massive. It's not like he's just like Michael Turner and he just has like this kind of weight advantage that he has over other guys. Um, for a guy his size, he has honestly phenomenal like short area explosiveness and agility um the way that he can operate in in compact spaces um mm-hmm. is it's just 
it's phenomenal in a vacuum and it's even more phenomenal for a guy his size. So I think especially when you get down into the red zone, um, whether it's as a pass catcher or as a runner, I think he's just going to be super, super valuable. Yeah. And then from a fantasy perspective, also great to see that he had an 11.1% receiving ratio in college. So the percentage of his touches that were catches versus runs. So probably very capable of handling a big workload as a runner, but also capable as a receiver, which is really important from fantasy with the sort of like the comp type of work that I do, which focuses on things like size and performances and combines and stuff. He kind of looks similar to Ezekiel Elliott and David Johnson in those respects. So like two, you know, high volume, able to run and catch Um, the back cast stuff that is up on football outsiders, the way that uh, football outsiders projects backs likely success in the NFL Marshawn Lynch is a comp, so I think that kind of gives a sense of things. Like, do you think that those kind of make sense and point to the type of workload that he could have, even if not necessarily the specific skills, strengths, and weaknesses? Um, absolutely. I mean, I think Elliot in in specific is like a really good comp overall because I, I mean, I guess this this rings true for all of these runners, but they all weren't necessarily the most explosive guys and weren't gonna get you, you know, all these chunk gains. But just in terms of consistently pumping out, you know four to 12 yard gains and getting extra yards in those areas. It's, it's really hard to find guys who are better than that, than these three guys at their peak. And I think that especially rings true for um, Ezekiel Elliott. I think he was just such a smart runner. And I think I see a lot of the same things in Harris. So it's kind of nice that, you know, some of the more analytical views kind of put him in, in the same exact mold um, yeah. that I kind of saw from the film. Very cool. Okay, so that's the first pick. For my second pick, then, I think it's it's pretty clear that you'll go Travis Etienne, although I will point out that I'm an alum of North Carolina, so I'd love to pick Williams here, but uh, we can wait a little bit on that. Etienne is the number one back and back cast ahead of Harris, I thought was interesting. They compare him to Dalvin Cook and Reggie Bush, which I find interesting because I don't necessarily think of them as, as exactly the same types of players. Uh, the way that I see it with him being 5'10", 215, uh, that actually adds up to a 30.8 BMI, which is a little bit higher than Harris. So even though he's shorter, I think it kind of ends up being a compact back. I think he can probably handle a pretty good workload. And I would compare him to Alvin Kamara and Damian Harris uh, as players kind of along those sizes. With They had a little bit more varied receiving ratios, but Etienne's was a little bit higher uh, than Harris's. And as you mentioned, huge breakaway ability, maybe a player that can sort of take some of those catches to the house and be very productive in individual weeks. I assume that Etienne is probably the back that you would have number two here as well. Yeah, I think so. Um, and like I said, I think, you know, the split between Etienne and Harris is not so much quality of prospect. It's just what you want in a player. I will say I would be shocked if Etienne actually played at 215. I think he looked a lot thinner than that on film, which is not to say that I have concerns about him holding up. I think he'll be just fine. But I think 215 is probably a little bit of generosity. Um somewhere um along the Clemson coaching staff or whether that was what he had at his pro day or whatever but um I mean I still think he's really good just like I said I think he's going to be the guy that because he is constantly looking to break away a lot of these runs he's probably going to have games where he carries the ball 20 times for 62 yards because he's constantly running into the back of his own lineman trying to make you know desperately make this play um but I think you're going to have to just live with those performances when he's also going to have plenty of, you know, 150 yard, two touchdown games, because he's just such an explosive, uh, terrifying runner when he gets the ball in his hands in space. Interesting. Okay. That brings up two questions for me. One. So since this year, the combine was disrupted by the whole COVID issue, are all of these heights and weights, or are they being done individually by teams at pro days and stuff such that maybe they're a little bit less accurate than you might have when everybody's in the same place? 
I would say so, yeah. Okay. Uh, and, and and what's frustrating is that it's going to obviously depend, like, the degree of how much their, you know, quote, lying is going to depend on the school. Um, you know, like, LSU is kind of notorious for doing a lot of this. Um, Ohio State, um, with 40-yard times in particular, are, like, very notorious for, for drumming those up. So um, I think you definitely have to take everything with a little bit of a grain of salt. And I think, you know, with Etienne in particular, if you just watch him on film, like I said, I don't think he's going to have issues holding up, but I would be really stunned if he was 215. That's interesting. And so I'm guessing then, based on that and based on some of your other scouting observations, do you think that Etienne is going to be a little bit more sensitive to his landing spot as like a better player in the second level, maybe needing the better blocking to really take advantage of his skill set? I think it's that. And I think it's also Etienne is not a very reliable uh, pass blocker, which obviously doesn't have like a a direct correlation for fantasy points. You know, you don't get points for that. Um, But coaches are going to want to put you on the field more if you can pass. For sure. Yes. And, and with Etienne, I think especially year one, it's, it's a little bit, you know, worrisome as to, as to how much he's going to get taken off the field because he's not a particularly good pass blocker. Maybe he can figure it out right away. Who knows? Um, But it's just not something he really showed in college. Whereas I think Harris why I think I, I'm a little bit higher on him is Harris. That's not a concern for me. And I think he's going to be able to stay on the field for, you know, any down. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, let's go move on to the third pick. That's back to you. Who do you like here from a fantasy perspective? Uh, you know, the popular pick here is probably Javante Williams, but I think in general, I'm slightly lower on him than normal. So I guess I think I'm going to lean towards my number one receiver here, which is going to be Devonta Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, I know he's really skinny, and I think today he came in at like 166 or something like that, which is obviously a little bit concerning. But I think when you watch him, he's just there, – there's something about the way that he moves that is almost really hard to describe. It, it just feels rare, um, and I know that's very like – that's not really descript, and that doesn't really help uh, the listener here. But um, I think he's just such an explosive, fluid mover, um, and I think why he's going to be okay playing at his size um, – is that he does such a good job right before he's about to take contact of making sure he doesn't take the full brunt of that contact, whether that's at the line of scrimmage and press coverage or as he's about to take tackles on. Um, And I think if you watch Lamar Jackson, obviously completely different player, completely different position, but Lamar Jackson is so special as a runner because he also does a very good job at avoiding contact right before he takes it. And I think you see a lot of that with Smith. Um, And then just as a receiver, you know, his route running is phenomenal. Um, he's really explosive. He's going to be able to make plays down the field. Um, I think he tracks the ball into his hands really well. Um, maybe you worry a little bit if he has enough strength at the catch point, but I think for his size, he did enough, even if he's not going to be, you know, Mike Evans. So mm-hmm. I think he's just such a phenomenal player that he can be, you know, the outlier a little bit for a guy his size. Uh, I forget who said it on Twitter, but, you know, somebody was talking about the idea that um, a lot of these skinny receivers don't work out. Um, but then they said, well, how many of these skinny receivers were even supposed to be as good as Devonta Smith? <laughs> yeah, like exactly. a lot of these other yeah. sub 175 guys were third, fourth round picks. Like, yeah, they probably weren't going to work out that well to begin with. This guy was, uh, you know, a special producer, special athlete, you know, checks all the other boxes. Yeah, I think from a fantasy perspective, when you see something like six foot, 170 pounds, or you're saying maybe even coming in a little bit less than that, that kind of brings about two fears. One, the injury stuff, as you mentioned, very encouraging that he wasn't, you know, after plays seeming like he was banged up or coming out of games or anything like that. He just, like you said, maybe seems to have a natural ability to avoid some of the bigger hits. But two, uh, that kind of brings to mind the Deshaun Jackson type of 
skill set and build, especially when you see that Smith had 16.9 yards per reception in college. But from everything that I understand, this isn't a player that's like a go route runner, just kind of going to get some big plays, score touchdowns on occasion, but maybe be a lower volume type of player, which is more valuable in real NFL life than it is in fantasy perspective. But in your mind, Smith is more of a complete receiver that runs a full route tree. Is, is that true? Absolutely. Um, and I think we'll get to, you know, his teammate Jalen Waddle later, who I think is a little bit more of, of just a speedster, or not just a speedster, but that's kind of his role. I think Smith does everything. He can beat you down the field on, on go balls, you know, post routes, all that stuff, but he can beat you on a three-step slant. He can beat you on speed out. He can, you know, run a dig under you and he's mm-hmm. going to beat you there. I think there's there's really nothing about playing the wide receiver position that I don't think he can handle. Um you know, unless, you know, you're, you're trying to pin him as, you know, like a Mike Evans or whatever, and he's just not that. But I think for his, you know, for just the general, you know, X or Z receiver, I think he's he's going to be able to run every route on the tree and get open against anyone. So Smith has a really interesting write-up in the Playmaker Score article on Football Outsiders, so I would encourage everyone to check that out. But I'll point out just a couple of nuggets that I found particularly interesting. One, he's the highest rated senior in Playmaker Score history, and I find it interesting that that playmaker score and a lot of these stats, they tend to sort of dock people for being older uh, just because I guess it's kind of like the NBA model where the more you've shown, the less room that you have to develop as you get older, I guess. Uh, but it compares him to Larry Fitzgerald and Torrey Holt. So I think getting a little bit at what you were saying about the sort of the instinctual route runner uh, that, that he is and like how he may be kind of a bit able to outplay the the physical tools that, that he has that, I think can make him a very intriguing player. Like he rates a lot better in playmaker score than Jamar Chase does, where I'm not sure it's a universal opinion that, that Smith is like a dramatically better prospect, but it sounds like you kind of agree with that, that you think Smith is sort of a level up from Chase uh, among the prospects. Yeah, slightly. I don't think it's a huge gap, but I think it's comfortable enough for me to, to, to say Smith is better. Um, I, I think, yeah, I, I think Smith is probably just a, a slight tier, um, ahead of that. And I think, you know, what makes him so interesting is just that like, it, if, if Smith wanted to have came out last year, he could have. And if you, you know, Steven Ruiz of uh, USA Today, you know, tweeted this like last year. Um, but if you watch the Alabama offense in 2019, it seems very clear that the coaching staff believed their best pass catcher was Devonta Smith, just the way that they used him and yeah. fed him the ball. And obviously he didn't end up being the one who came out, you know, the, the two other guys did, but um, I think he was the guy who very clearly could have came out then. And then he came back and produced a ton. And so I'm not exactly sure how the playmaker uh, score evaluates, you know, him having a good junior season, and then a crazy senior season. Um but I think even if he had came out as a junior, I think he still would have been a first round pick. And he just happened to have maybe increased his stock just a little bit this year. Yeah, the Alabama side of this is really interesting because they're just always so loaded. And one of the things that I think really sets Smith apart, something that Playmaker Score gets into as well, is Alabama actually had a much heavier run focused offense than some of these other college receivers like Jamar Chase were playing in, especially you know in the 2020 season with, with Chase with Burrow. But like if you look at it from a per play basis, not just a per target basis, Smith was outrageously productive. And in fact, he actually was the second highest touchdown rate since 1996 behind Randy Moss and Des Bryant. So that's that's crazy and obviously very important from a fantasy perspective. Do you think that he'll be able to score touchdowns in the pros or is that where size maybe becomes a little bit more of a problem for him? I mean, he he's not going to be a guy who, you know, is going to post you up like a basketball player in, in the red zone. But I think 
um, his work in creating space in smaller spaces, you know, when, when space is not naturally there in the red zone because the field gets condensed, I, I think is so good. I think he just, the, the explosion he can create in that area, the separation he can create in that area um, with a lot of these shorter routes, I think is going to give him an edge in scoring in the red zone. Um, even if he's not a guy who's going to be some, you know, crazy contested catch guy on fade balls and stuff like that. Okay, great. All right, let's move on to the number four pick. And based on what you teased a second ago, I may be walking into a bad move here, but I'm going to take running back Javante Williams from North Carolina, one of their two running backs, but the one that seems to be projected to be the earlier pick. Uh, by measurements and such, he actually looks kind of similar to Etienne. I'm guessing you may be telling me that's that's not totally the case, but five foot ten, two hundred and twelve pounds, so ends up at around thirty point four BMI, twelve percent receiving ratio, very good, also very similar to Etienne. But based on sort of the scouting reports that I've read about him, I think I get the sense that he may be a less natural pass catcher, but a very excellent tackle breaker as a runner, and something that would then help him after the catch as a receiver. I found it very interesting, but he scores very poorly in backcast, uh, the Football Outsiders running back pro- uh, prospect evaluation projection. He he kind of similar scores to Javon Ringer and Cadillac Williams. And the Cadillac Williams part of this is the interesting part, probably, because it seems like backcast is pessimistic about Williams in large part because he shared the backfield with another productive player, Michael Carter. And they view that as it's a lot more likely that a school, maybe not in the Alabama and Clemson side of things, would have two really good pro players. And it's more likely that they are both average by the fact that they were both so successful. Do you put stock in that type of thing? And and if not, like what is it that, that is about Williams that has you a little bit less excited about him as a prospect? Um, I think, you know, I will start by saying that I think it's interesting that he kind of ended up weighing similar to Etienne because I don't think they look or play similar at all. I mean, I think Etienne is, is a little bit more of a lean runner, um, which is, is why I don't understand how he weighed in at 215. Whereas I think Javante Williams is a, is a much bigger, bulkier type of runner. Um, so I think it's interesting that they ended up weighing kind of similar. But I mean, I think kind of what you brought up with the naturalness of the way that he is a receiver out of the backfield. Um, Cause I think he, he scored similarly to Harris in terms of receiving ratio, but I think Alabama was a lot more comfortable letting Harris do a number of different things that they mm-hmm. weren't, that UNC was not quite comfortable letting Williams do. I think a lot of Williams's pass catches were, were very simplified um, and, and really just designed to get the ball into his hands immediately. Whereas maybe Harris, they were letting, you know, run a lot more of those wheel routes or really actually split out as a receiver, stuff like that. So I think, to me, Williams is, in a lot of ways, kind of just the lesser version of Harris. I think he's he's similar as a runner, um, where you know maybe getting off those chunk plays, you know, forty yards down the field, are not going to quite be there the same way as some of these other runners like Etienne. Um, but I just think he's, you know, if just in a theoretical world, you know, Najee Harris is a nine out of ten in a lot of categories as a runner. Yeah, Williams to me is more like an eight or an eight point five, so he's kind of just a peg down. And then, like I said, I don't think he's as natural as a wide receiver. So I think he's still a good player and, and not a bad pick here by any means. But um, to me, I think he's you know one peg down from the other two running backs. So the other thing that seems to stand out from a backcast perspective is that he ran a four point four point five seven second forty time which is slower than sort of you would like from these top level prospects. I've always taken the tack that 40 is not super important from a running back's perspective, the same way that it can be for like a field stretching receiver. Uh, I think that like the more the agility drills probably better reflect 
what you would actually be asking a back to do in a typical situation. Like how often is any back going to be breaking away, trying to score a touchdown? He had the same time as Damian Harris um, and had faster times than Chris Carson, Devontae Freeman, and Clyde Edwards Lair in recent seasons. And I, I, I gather that those backs may be bringing different sort of things to the table, maybe different strengths and stuff. But like, is the 40 time part of the, the concern for you? Or, or do you sort of have the, the approach that I do to it, which is like, as long as you're generally fast enough, that's not going to really be a big part about what he's asked to do in the NFL. Yeah, I'm not too worried about 40 times so long as it doesn't tell us something we didn't already know. You know, I think right. I think everyone, even people who like Williams, know he's not going to be a guy who's going to rip off these crazy runs and, and pick up, you know, 60-yard home run touchdowns. I think nobody who likes him thinks he's going to be that. And so for him to test um, the way that he did at a 4-5-7 is not terrible. Um, and it's obviously not good, but I think that's probably about the reasonable range that people expected him to run. So I think it would be kind of nonsense to hurt him for that if we kind of already expected him to be around that range. Well, are there any other running backs that you would have drafted ahead of him? And I guess we can find that out in a second. Or, or like how many of these other prospects at all positions would you, would you have drafted ahead of him? Uh, I, I don't think as far as running backs, I would have taken anyone else over him. I think I would have probably considered the two other main SEC receivers in Waddle and Chase. Mm -hmm. um, but I think as far as running backs, he was probably safe here. Okay, well, cool. Then why don't you go ahead and make the, the pick, uh, number five pick in the rookie draft? This one, I think, is probably the toughest decision I've had. I think to me, it's down to Chase and Waddle. Um, personally, I will probably roll with Chase just because I think it's very easy to see how he has a very high floor as a player. Um, in terms of production, because I think if you watch him, um, especially at LSU, I mean, one, he produced like a madman at like 19 years old and was part of yeah one of the most magical offenses that we've ever seen at the college level. Um, so I think that is a pretty nice sign for his development. But I think if you watch him, he's he's just a really perfect, ideal bully ball receiver. You know, you just throw him out at X and he's going to he's going to win on a lot of these slants, um, fade balls, back shoulders, comebacks. Anything where he can snap it off and kind of bully you at the break, I think is going to be really, really good for him. And then down the field, I think he's probably not the true burner that, you know, his amount of explosive plays suggest. Um, but what I think he's so fascinating down the field is that even if he doesn't create separation throughout most of the route, um, there's this thing, there, there's this knack that great receivers have for creating separation at the very, very end of the route, like as the ball is about to arrive. Um, you can kind of do a good job of extending your arm and kind of getting really light contact on the receiver without really slowing your own stride or contact on the defensive back. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, without really slowing your own stride. And I think Chase has just such a natural knack to do that, that he could be, you know, basically hip to hip with a DB throughout the entire route. And then at the last second, somehow he is magically a foot ahead. Um, and I think he's just so good at that. And I think with as strong as he is and with as bulky as he is, that's going to be something he's going to be able to continue to do in the NFL, um, especially as he just, you know, grows and develops as a route runner and yeah. player. I think you actually answered the question that I was going to ask because I see him listed as being six foot even, 201 pounds. So a lot smaller than I think I was expecting for a player that seems to be more a physical type of receiver. But Playmaker Score comps him to DJ Moore. Is that is that the type of thing that we're seeing where like there actually is that sort of bullying aspect of the game where he also may be really good after the catch too? Yeah, I think so. I think to me, more 
lives a little bit more in the NFL as someone who is really good at, at settling down and finding zones, which is, you know, I don't think Chase is bad at that, but I don't think that's why he's going to be good. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I think uh, Chase at the very top of his routes, um, especially I think is just so good at creating separation, even without necessarily being the cleanest route runner. Whereas I think, you know, Moore is maybe a little bit cleaner and a little bit better at, at finding those soft spots. Whereas, you know, like I said, Chase, just does such a phenomenal job of playing really physical football without, you know, drawing himself into penalties. Nice. Okay. So I'm going to go a little bit away from where you suggested here. And this is probably just to get your opinion really, but like Kyle Pitts is the player that I was looking at fourth, even ahead of Devonte Smith after the big three running backs. But like from a fantasy perspective, typically tight ends are, are kind of like worthless. I mean, a lot of leagues there are only 12 tight ends being started or maybe even 10 so they're just not that valuable but then suddenly a player like a Travis Kelsey type is hugely valuable because of how much better they are than everyone else at the position so my question to you is is Kyle Pitts like a Travis Kelsey George Kittle type of of potential player here or are we maybe getting a little bit carried away just because you know we don't obviously prospects this enticing uh, no, I think he's actually that good. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people kind of did this with, with Hawkinson last year. And Hawkinson was the best tight end in his class and a good tight end prospect. Mm-hmm. But Pitts is, I mean, he's the best I've seen since I started doing draft work in 2013. Um, and just in terms of a, a lot of the, the other analytical data, whether that's, you know, um, how he produced or just how he is as an athlete, he's probably the best since Vernon Davis. Um, I mean, I think he's just such a rare, rare athlete for the position. Um, You can split him out and legitimately play him at wide receiver. Um, But he's also a phenomenal route runner just as an inline tight end, you know, as a true Y. Um, And I think he's also really good as a blocker. Um, And that obviously doesn't matter for the fantasy perspective. But I think it matters in the sense that offenses are going to feel very comfortable doing whatever they want with him on the field, which I think is going to lead to him getting more touches. Um, So I think he's just a, a complete tight end prospect and he's obviously just a rare rare athlete so I think he actually is in that tier of you know Travis Kelsey Rob Gronkowski whoever it is at the at the very very top that is actually one of the few difference makers um, at tight end the caveat is just that tight ends in general do not produce year one I do think Pitts is probably going to be able to to still produce at a decent level but you know, he, he just might not be at that elite level year one, but I think by year two, year three, he's going to be exactly who you want him to be. So the Vernon Davis comp is interesting, I think, because it seems like a lot of the guys that end up being the best fantasy tight ends aren't drafted as highly as you would expect. Um, it's like Jordan Reed is a player, I think was a sort of a middling pick. I think that was true of George Kittle. I'm not even sure, was Gronk even a first round pick? I don't think he was, right? Um, I don't think so. I think Gronk was a day two guy. What, like, what is it, like, why is it, is it difficult for people or for teams to sort of figure out who are going to be the most productive tight ends? Is it, is it, is it because of the offenses they end up becoming a part of, or is it because like, I don't know, like, why is it that it it can be very difficult to evaluate who these players are going to be? And then why is Pitts the exception? So I think to me, part of what it is, is that it kind of speaks to the idea that there's just so few of them that are true, true difference makers. You know, you have Kelsey, you have, you know, at his peak, you have Gronk. Um, Maybe you can put like Darren Waller into that category. George Mm -hmm. Kittle is there. And then after that, that's not to say that every tight end after that is bad, 
but you kind of start getting into having to use them in, in particular ways. And I think because every time teams are drafting guys in the first round at tight end, they are just chasing, you know, the Travis Kelsey, um, the Rob Gronkowski's of the world. You're chasing that guy that is going to be the absolute peak and can do everything. And I think tight end is just such a hard position to actually be able to be a complete player and do everything, you know, to be a guy who can be an inline blocker, to be a guy who can run routes off of inline formations, and then to also be a guy who can split out into the slot um, and also out as like an X in the goal line and stuff like that. I think it's just so hard to find a guy who does all of those things. And if you look at some of the recent tight end prospects that were drafted in the first round, they can't necessarily do all those things. Like Hawkinson, for example, I think he kind of can split out at wide receiver, but not nearly to the same level as a guy like Pitts or Kelsey. Like, I, I just don't think he's that guy. I think he's more of a true inline Y type of player. Um, whereas Ingram, you know, Evan Ingram a few years ago is a little bit more of the opposite, where he's more of just a guy who you want catching passes and he's not going to help you very much as a pass blocker. But I think if you look at Pitts, every box, you know, every, you know, archetype of tight end that you could try to fit him into, he can he can do it. And I think that's why he's such a special player. And it sounds like there's a bit of a subtlety here, like where from a fantasy perspective, you obviously want your tight end running routes, but it also sounds like the more complete the tight end's game is, the better he's going to be as a receiver because they're they're kind of creating a confusion in the defense. Where like when Rob Gronkowski is lined up like he looks like he's going to be a blocker, a team is going to treat him differently than if I don't like you know Eric Ebron is doing that or whatever. Where it's it's a lot more of a threat that that could produce a big run game when Gronk is back there. So it's like that kind of what you're saying here, where like the completeness of the player almost enables them to, to sort of break out in that way as a receiver down the line. Absolutely. I, I think, you know, that rings true, especially with a lot of the play action stuff. You know, it's it's if a team as a whole can convince, you know, the defense that they're going to be strong running the ball, then they're going to try to stop the run. And a good blocking tight end can help, you know, to get to that end. You know, I think Kittle in um, San Francisco, San Francisco is probably the best example. I mean, he's just a phenomenal, phenomenal blocker. And obviously, Kyle Shanahan has a great um, run game and play action game. And I think Kittle is just, you know, such a good piece to to help that along. And I think that's why that works the way it does. So I think that's a good point. Um, you know, being able to be a guy who blocks and kind of have that help give the offense a little bit of ambiguity is going to help open up the passing game overall, which is in turn going to, you know, open up some opportunities for that player. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, that finishes the first half of the draft. You're up next with number seven. And I think you mentioned who you might go with here. Yeah, I think it's probably going to be Waddle for me. Um, Waddle to me is probably the best deep threat in this class. Um, and I don't think he is quite as pigeonholed into that role the way that Henry Ruggs was coming out of Alabama. Right. Henry Ruggs to me was coming out of Alabama, more of like the, the Shanahan speed slot type where he, you're basically a guy who can only run, you know, up the seam and up the post, um, from the slot. Um, and, you know, I think we've seen this from like Marquise Goodwin, I think is a really good example of, of that type of player. Um, Ruggs might develop into a little bit more than that, but I think he was a little bit more linear as a player, whereas I think Waddle can be that, but Waddle can also be a little bit more of a legitimate wide receiver where he can kind of beat you on slants. Um, he can beat you on comebacks. He can beat you on a lot more traditional routes than I think a guy like Ruggs could. Um, and I think obviously once Waddle gets the ball in his hand, he has this really, really rare um, acceleration and way that he can turn up the field and just instantly um, get zero to 60 and kind of and kind of outrun you that way. So I think he is maybe not quite as complete as Smith is. I think Smith um, 
is a is a better route runner overall and probably has slightly better hands. But I think Waddle is just such a fantastic deep ball player and does enough in in the other areas of of playing receiver that you know, he's going to get value out of being a deep guy, if that makes sense. Yeah. And that's actually really good to hear about the diversity of skill set there because he actually wasn't very productive in college, 106 catches in three seasons. Um, and I was wondering, and actually that's a reason why playmaker score docks him a bit too. He's fifth in this class, whereas I think he's the consensus third wide receiver, uh, from like an NFL draft perspective from most scouts perspectives. Um, but Kind of what you described, I was worried that Waddle might be sort of what we were talking about with Pitts a little bit, where it's like, is Tyreek Hill the reason that we're this high on Waddle? Like, if 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 he didn't exist, would Waddle be somebody that we wouldn't, like, hadn't really ever shown that type of production or whatever? We're just kind of dreaming big about what he could be. But it sounds like Waddle maybe actually has more of the, like, the bigger route tree, the things that can help him be successful um, beyond just looking at the physical traits and sort of relying on that exclusively to make this argument, right? Yeah, I think so. I, I don't think he is someone who kind of has to be pigeonholed into being a deep receiver. Like I said, I, you know, I, I don't think you want him as, you know, your team's true number one receiver. I think it would be nice if you had someone who was, you know, more of a true X along like the, you know, Jamar T- Chase um, or, you know, Alshon Jeffrey, Des Bryant, like that sort of mold. It would yeah. be nice to have someone like that to compliment him. Um, but I think Waddle can be a really good guy who's, you know, you're good, a good number two and just such a phenomenal deep threat that he opens up a lot of other things for the offense. Well, Waddle's five foot 10 and 180 pounds. So it's like, it's kind of the measurements you would see from a lot of slot receivers. Could Waddle be somebody that lines up in the slot and maybe then gets more targets because of it? Or is he probably going to be used a little bit less than, I don't know, like a retro day Julian Edelman type? To me, I think if he's going to be a slot receiver, it's, it's not really going to be along that like Edelman type of type of player. I just, I just don't think that that's who he is. I don't think he feels himself in those shorter zones that same way. And I don't think he has um, quite that, that sharp of route running in in the underneath area. Um, I think to me, he's more of would be along the lines of like the Shanahan speed slot guy, if he was going to be in the slot. Um, But like I said, I don't think he would be, pigeonholed to only being capable of that like rugs was i think it was just if you put him in the slot that's where he's going to be best but he can also still do a number of other things very cool okay then with the eighth pick at this point i'm going to go with rashad bateman wide receiver out of minnesota 6-1 and 190 pounds a playmaker score ranks him seven so again not necessarily at the top of this class but comps him to keenan allen which i think is very promising and it sounded like he kind of had that allen ability to be flexible working from the slot or working on the outside with excellent route running. What do you think of Bateman as a prospect and maybe as somebody that might be more productive in the NFL? I think, I think being more productive in the NFL is, is absolutely what's going to happen with Bateman. I think, you know, if you watch him, the Minnesota offense is so frustrating because it's very clear that they've dumbed it down to like the, the very, the most simple form of this, you know, RPO craze offense that we've seen around the country. Um, I think they've dumbed it down to like the, the most, the easiest way that you can do it because I don't think their quarterback was very good. And I think that ended up hurting Bateman in the sense that you just didn't see him run as many routes as I think that he was capable of. Um, Because if you watch the routes that he did run, which was a lot of slants, glances and go balls and stuff, I think he was very good and crafty at running those things, but you just didn't get to see the full route tree. Um, And it's kind of one of those things where you're kind of just assuming that his work, from the other routes is going to 
to translate when he has to open up his route tree a little bit more in the NFL. Personally, I think it can, and I think it will, because I think he's also a pretty good athlete. So um, I I think he's going to be fine in that sense. Um, And I think in this way, he kind of has the most unforced, like untapped potential of a lot of these other receivers. Like that's not to say he has the highest ceiling. Um, You know, I think guys like Chase and Smith kind of take that crown, but I think with Smith and Chase, we know what they should be and we know what they are going to be in the NFL. Whereas I think Bateman is a little bit more of a projection and you're really just hoping that he, you know, that these traits can um, translate as opposed to having all this. Yep. We've seen him do X, Y, Z, you know, a hundred times. So we know that he can do it. It's probably pretty obvious by sort of the way that we're talking about these players at this point. It's like, this is kind of where there is a teardrop probably from a fantasy draft perspective, probably from a real world perspective. So like, do you, is Bateman even the player you have here or are there other players, maybe other receivers that you would have ahead of him? So actually, as I was, I was walking through, through the players for the show, Bateman probably would have been the last um, skill player. I felt good about taking before just taking the certainty of what Trevor Lawrence is going okay. to be. Um but Bateman is probably the last guy I would have in this tier. Other than that, that's not to say that there's bad players, you know, after this, of course. But I think he's probably the one that, even though he's a little bit more of a gamble than some of the receivers that we've set ahead of him, um, I think the traits are just so phenomenal. And I think the potential there is just, um, it's just really enticing. Okay, well, great. So that means you're taking Lawrence at number nine then, right? That is correct. Um, I, I think there were a couple of other receivers that would not have been bad over him here in this, in this range per se. But I think with Lawrence, it's just, I think the certainty level of what he's going to be is just so astronomically high. Even if the quarterback position in fantasy is not quite as valuable. Um, I think it's just, even on the Jaguars, you know, we can meme the Jaguars all we want. I think he's just such a phenomenal generational prospect. Um, He's every bit as good as we've built him to be for two, three years. So I think he would probably be my pick here. Yeah, so this is a tough one. Uh, I mean, it's it's probably makes more sense for you that like actually charts all of these quarterbacks and all their games. But from a fantasy player's perspective, like me, who maybe doesn't spend as much time with the college guys, it's hard to sort of unpack who has like real hype and who has not. Like, it seems like every year there are players that it's like, oh, this is the best college quarterback since whenever. Like, you know, I hear that Trevor Lawrence is a generational quarterback prospect, but we kind of heard that about Tua Tagovailoa the the previous year. Like we we kind of hear that every year or every two years, and everybody can't be the best quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck, right? So like, is Lawrence like physically? It seems like he's definitely a different type of cat. Like six foot six, two hundred and thirteen pounds, ran the ball pretty frequently in college, sixteen point nine percent rushing ratio, and ran in eighteen touchdowns is the number one Q base quarterback. So like there are a lot of things that make it look like he's obviously the top pick in this draft, but like, are we really talking about a prospect that is better than anyone we've seen in a decade or whatever? I mean, I think so. Personally, I started doing draft work in 2013 and I think he's the best that I've seen since then. I mean, in terms of arm talent, this, this quarterback class in general has just phenomenal arm talent across the board, but I think he has the best arm talent among them. Mm-hmm. Um, the velocity he can put on the ball to any area of the field, even without hitching, is just honestly outrageous. Um, he can obviously spin the ball 60, 65 yards down the field if he needs to. Um, I think his accuracy is not necessarily like the greatest that we've ever seen, but I think it's way above the NFL baseline and is going to be like top 10 in the NFL um, sooner rather than later. And I think his particular specialty is fitting these windows in the 
11 to 20 yard area, which to me, that intermediate area of the field is really where great quarterbacks separate themselves um, from the rest of the pack. And I think Lawrence is going to be phenomenal there. Um, I think just the way that he manages the pocket is some of the rarest stuff I've ever seen, um, which is really crazy for a guy who's 6'6 and kind of built like, you know, Gumby, like a, a guy built like he is should not have as um, controlled and concise movements in the pocket as he does. Um, but Lawrence has it. And I think it's just phenomenal. Um, I mean, he's obviously a great athlete. He's going to be a really good runner in the NFL. I think the way that he processes the game is just phenomenal. And which is frustrating because the Clemson offense doesn't always let you see that because Clemson, I mm-hmm. think, lives in this very much, um, you know, RPO screen heavy world where they're trying to press, you know, the perimeter. They're trying to push things to the boundary instead of having this legitimate drop back pass game. But they do enough over time that you can see how well Lawrence processes. And I don't think the offense being the way it was is a knock on Lawrence. I think that's just the way that Clemson operates. And, you know, even with Deshaun Watson, the offense was still the same way. But you could still see that Watson was a great processor. And I think that's true with Lawrence, too. So I think there have been plenty of good prospects in the past, you know, five years or so. Uh, but I, I just don't think anyone is is quite in Lawrence's category. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the stuff about Clemson offense. Because from a fantasy perspective, while it's it's mostly clear what order these players are going to be drafted in the real NFL draft, to me, it's a little bit less clear who stands out among Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, and Trey Lance from a fantasy perspective. Now, some of those are related to skill sets that aren't necessarily as important from a real world perspective, but it's like Trey Lance, 6'4", 224, ran on 38% of his college touches, probably is going to be the most productive of these players from a rushing perspective. Justin Fields, 6'3", 227, 29.6% rushing ratio, and has the size to maybe run in touchdowns closer to the goal line, maybe in that Cam Newton way. These things are going to really help from a fantasy perspective and maybe a little bit less important from a real world perspective. But are you saying that like Lawrence from a passing perspective is like so much clearly ahead of these guys that like it's a huge win to get a quarterback in a dynasty draft that's going to be productive for you for like a decade um, or that's like has a much higher floor, that type of stuff. Like is Lawrence differentiated from these other players such that maybe even seeding those abilities from a fantasy perspective, it's still going to be clearly worth it to go with him over these other guys. Um, I think so. I think, yes. I mean, as a passer, I think he has the highest ceiling and I think he has probably the highest floor. So I think it's really hard to go wrong in, in the sense of, you know, just purely as a passer, but even as a runner, I think Lance and, and fields are definitely a tier ahead of him. But I mean, Lawrence, Lawrence is a really good runner. I mean, he runs like a gazelle if he can get into the open speed into the open field. I mean, yeah. I think he, I'm not sure exactly what he ran and I don't remember if he ran, but I think he can probably run in the four sixes range, um, which, you know, is, is a little bit below what fields ran in probably the, the four five range. But um, I think he's still a dangerous runner. Um, kind of along the lines of, and you know, he gets compared to Luck in a lot of different ways, but Andrew Luck was also a really good athlete running out of Stanford. I think he ran in the four sixes range um, for a pretty big guy. And he wasn't necessarily a guy who you were going to design the offense around for him to be a runner. But I think when he broke the pocket, he was really dangerous. And I think you could sprinkle in a lot of that, um, you know, quarterback power um, zone read stuff if you really wanted to with Trevor Lawrence. Um, You know, like I said, I don't know how much Jacksonville is going to do that. Um, but I think he offers plenty of athleticism and plenty of ability to run if that's something that Jacksonville wants to do. And I want to compare him a little bit more in detail to Zach Wilson too, um, likely the number two pick, it sounds like, to the Jets. But 
So Wilson ran a lot in college too, 20.2% rushing ratio, and even ran in 15 touchdowns in three seasons. So in terms of like productivity from just a fantasy perspective, Wilson seems like he actually did more in college than Lawrence did, but Wilson is also 6'2", 214. Is it, it seems like he may be less likely to continue that production going forward because of fears that maybe that would lead to him getting hurt. Do you sort of have that concern with him too? A little bit. I think with, with Wilson in particular, you're not going to want to ever really design the run game around him. I think maybe you can sprinkle in some zone read or, or speed option type of stuff, but I don't think he's someone you want to intentionally run the ball. I think he's a good scrambler when he gets outside the pocket. Um, I think he's he's particular, you know, particularly someone who's very agile um, and, and can dodge a lot of defenders like right when they get near him. But I don't think his speed is necessarily special. Um, and I don't think he's a guy who's going to be able to take contact very well. Whereas I think Lawrence is a little bit more of a natural runner um, when he has the ball in his hand and, and could be used on a lot more of that quarterback run stuff. And then the other thing is kind of tying back into what you were talking about with the RPO heavy offense that Lawrence was a part of. It seemed like BYU had Wilson making more diverse types of throws. And that's where the like the Patrick Mahomes comparisons come in, where it's like, you know, he can make hard, accurate throws from every arm angle and in all kinds of different routes and stuff. How is it that you know that Lawrence can make those throws? Like it are is your scouting back to the point where you see them occasionally enough to the point where you feel confident that he can make that? Or is there like is there a legit chance that Wilson actually is going to be the better passer in the NFL? So to me, the, the the Clemson offense RPO thing is not so much that Lawrence is not ever making interesting throws. To me, it's just that you kind of have to recalibrate what his production was Okay, um, just because so much of what they were doing was off RPOs. And I think the same is true of, um, you know, Mac Jones, Kyle Trask, even last year to attack by and Joe Burrow. I think you just kind of have to recalibrate that in a, in, in a, in a way. Um, but yeah, like I said with Lawrence, I think they still do enough dropback stuff that you see him go one to two to three, step up in a muddy pocket and throw a backside dig. And that's like going to be as NFL as it gets. Um, you know, you see him throw a corner route to the far side of the field um, in, you know, in between the, the cover two, you know, hole in the defense. I mean, that stuff is like real, real NFL stuff. Whereas I think Zach Wilson, he made a lot of good throws, but I don't think a lot of what he was doing was necessarily immediately translatable to the NFL. Like, I don't think you saw him operating, you know, in the pocket the way that Lawrence was and going, you know, one to two to three and hitting, you know, his, his third read on the mm-hmm. backside or something like that. I think, Wilson was a little bit more one to two to bail and make a play, which obviously worked for him. Yeah. Um, but I think he's going to be, you know, he's going to have to adjust a little bit more in the NFL. Um, and, and what I'll also say with Wilson is that while he didn't have as much of the RPO stuff that Trevor Lawrence did, or even like Mac Jones did, um, the BYU offense really committed to like the Shanahan ish style of, you know, this wide zone um, play action play action style of, of offense and they did it more from pistol than than under center so it looked a little bit different but you know that offense really creates a lot of open throws whether that's on you know those crossers that they run over the middle of the field or those comebacks that they'll run to you know wherever the side the quarterback is rolling to stuff like that so I think Wilson got a fair amount of easy throws in his offense as well okay. it's just that they kind of manifest in a different way that's interesting Okay, well, we can cut off the quarterback talk, um, but I knew that was a rabbit hole we were going to have to fall down, given how interesting and diverse this class is. But jumping back into the the rookie draft with the 10th pick, 
I'm, I'm, I'm definitely losing confidence here that I'm going to be making the right pick. So maybe leaning on you a little bit more, but I'm eyeing Elijah Moore from Old Miss. I think Moore, obviously a slot receiver at five foot 10, 178 pounds, had the lower 12.9 yards per reception average in college, gets a playmaker score comp to Percy Harvin. Um, so like to me, that sort of paints a picture that he may be a more traditional type of slot receiver. Uh, apparently very good ability to separate too, which is kind of what you're looking for. And that sort of short area quickness and slot receivers tend to be more, relatively more valuable from a fantasy perspective than say a field stretching receiver, uh, especially in like formats like PPR, where you get rewarded for catches beyond just the production. So do you think that more is a, is a reasonable pick at this point? And to you, is he, is there like a differentiation from him and from say like, you know, Terrace Marshall or, or Rondale Moore or someone like that? I mean, if I was picking here, I probably would have went with more as well. I think among the receivers that we've picked to this point, as well as, you know, probably who is left, I think he's probably the best true slot guy. Mm -hmm. um, I think, like you said, I think he does a really good job of separating. I think he can run routes against man fairly well. I think he does a really good job of, um, you know, he's not the most physical guy necessarily, but I think he does a good job of not letting himself get bullied. Um, even despite, you know, not being the biggest guy around. Um, and I think he's obviously explosive enough to get in and out of his breaks um, and get separation there. And then I think if he's just sifting through zone coverages and stuff, I think he also does a really good job of finding the soft spot and giving the quarterback as clear a window as he's going to get. Um, and then I think he actually does a decent job of being a field stretcher from the slot. Um, I don't know if he's going to quite be in that, you know, Henry Ruggs, uh, Marquise Goodwin, um, you know, Taylor Gabriel type of category where he's just, you know, dominant in that area. Yeah. Um, but I think he can give you enough of field stretching from the slot that it can kind of allow your offense to do some certain things. So I don't think he's necessarily, you know, just the guy who's going to sit there in the, in the one to 10 yard area and work from there. So I think his route tree from the slot is fairly full. Probably don't want him on the outside too much, but he can do it if you need him to. Um, and I think the last thing I'll say, too, and I kind of said this when I was talking about his route running, but I think he's really, really tough. And I think he's very willing to take hits over the middle if it means, you know, he can for sure get his hands on the ball. And I think if you're going to be a guy who lives over the middle as a slot receiver in the NFL, that's absolutely necessary. Excellent. OK, well, we're up to your last pick, the pick number 11. Curious if you're going wide receiver or whether you think any of these other quarterbacks may be kind of jumping up at this point where they're these are maybe standout guys relative to even other classes. Yeah, see, I, I'm going to roll with quarterback again. And it's, it's, it's again, it's not that I don't like some of these other receivers, but I have such high confidence that Justin Fields is going to be good. Um, so I would end up taking Fields here. Um, it, it seems crazy because, you know, we just talked about the hyperbole of thinking how good, how good some quarterbacks are, and we probably overrated at times. But I said that Lawrence is probably the best I've seen since I've started doing this since 2013. Fields is probably number two. And would be the number one pick to me in like any class dating back to, I guess, Andrew Luck is probably where, you know, that would stop. Yeah. Um, but but I think Fields is just, I mean, he's to me the best athlete among the quarterbacks. Um, I know Lance ran a little bit more, but that's just kind of because of the way that North Dakota State's offense functions. Um, but I think Fields to me is the best athlete. He's just incredibly explosive. He's really fast um, once he gets into the open field. Um, really good short area movement for a guy his size. Um, so I think in terms of that, he's really good. He's going to give you, you know, that dual threatness that you want from a fantasy quarterback. And then just as a passer, I mean, just as a passer, I think he's the second best quarterback in this mm -hmm. class. Never mind what he can also do um, as a runner. I think his accuracy is phenomenal. You know, 
like I think I mentioned before, I do this quarterback charting um, for all the quarterback prospects, all the top guys, and he's the most accurate quarterback I've ever charted. Um, and I started doing that in 2016. So, you know, that might leave out some some fairly recent guys. But um, I think his accuracy to every level of the field is just outstanding. Arm talent is outstanding. Um, and to me, all the concerns about him processing the field are, are honestly nonsense. I think he does such a good job of getting through his reads. Um, he can be he can hold the ball a little bit too long every now and then. But I don't think it's because he doesn't know what he's looking at. I think it's just the nature of the off the Ohio state offense being so vertical and him being so willing to sit on those routes um, and wait for them to come open because he wants to press the ball down the field. I think this is something we saw a lot from Deshaun Watson, especially early on in his NFL career. I think it's something we see from Cam Newton. I think it's something we even see to a different degree um, from Ryan Tannehill. And I like, I think it's a perfectly viable way to play the quarterback position. And I think he's so good at it that he's going to make it work in the NFL. So Fields is a fascinating player to talk about, and having not studied him myself, all I can really do is kind of play devil's advocate with this, but like there are a lot of issues kind of swirling about why his stock may or may not be be dropping that I kind of want to bring up with you. Um, I think the elephant in the room is that like there may be sort of some racial components here where like there have been longstanding biases about quarterbacks of color and like how successful they can be at the next level, which I think we could all agree is kind of nonsense. But I also think that might be to a certain extent, maybe being unfairly pegged to fields here. Um, The analyst that I've seen kind of most notably as being lower on fields than the consensus is Chris Sims, who I think was very famously like pro Lamar as like an incredible passer in a way that was being overlooked by a lot of people in the draft. So I don't think it's that necessarily, but I'm curious, Derek, from your perspective, is there like, if you're only watching say three or four games from a quarterback, is it possible to get sort of a, an incomplete picture about sort of his ability to like go through the progressions or maybe anticipate throws, leading receivers, that type of stuff? Like, is it possible that you could just look at the wrong subset to draw the wrong conclusion about a player? Or is it, is it possible that maybe Fields has just gotten dramatically better in those skills? Or, is, or do you read that just entirely as like a misreading of what his, his, his skills are as a player? Um. So to me, the the reason I think he probably ended up dropping a little bit is I think it's a little bit the black quarterback thing, just the way that they generally have to be more, you know, perfect than I think white prospects have Mm -hmm. to be. But I think it's actually more that people are doing this thing now with Ohio State quarterbacks where they think, oh, if they played at Ohio State, then they're not going to work out because none of the other guys were good. Well, none of the other guys before him were supposed to be good, except for Dwayne Haskins. He was the only one that was a first-round pick. Like, you know, guys like... Yeah, uh, I was looking at this because I I heard that narrative and I was like, oh, let me go check. I I can't even remember who they were. But like before Haskins, like the most recent quote-unquote prospects were Cardell Jones and Terrell Pryor, like neither of whom was considered to be anything close to a first-round quarterback at the time. Am Am I correct in saying that? Exactly. Like none of those guys were supposed to be very good. Um, And the other ones are like Braxton Miller, who ended up playing receiver before he even got to the NFL. And then JT Barrett, who I think everyone knew was not a very good NFL quarterback. Um, So, yeah, you know, kind of like you said, I I don't think any of these guys before him were supposed to be good except for Haskins. So it seems unfair that he's getting this, you know, Ohio State narrative um, pinned onto him, um, which I think is especially absurd when you look at, you know, it's not like before Deshaun Watson, uh, Clemson had a very good record of producing quarterbacks or Alabama had a very good record of producing quarterbacks before these past two guys. So to me, I think it's just kind of an outrageous thing that has probably stuck to him for some reason. 
Um, to the point about watching games, I think, especially with Fields in 2020, that's probably true because I think, you know, he started for two years at Ohio State and probably his the two worst games of his career were against Indiana and Northwestern in 2020. And if those were, you know, say you only watch four games of Fields and those were two of the four you watched, you might not have a very complete picture of Justin Fields. Um, because those were, yeah, not his best games. I mean, I think the Northwestern one is particularly tricky because um, he was missing, I think he was missing Chris Olave, um, which is, that's a big deal when you're missing one of your two guys um, who the offense was primarily targeting for the entire season. And he's out in a game against honestly a top five defense that year. I don't think people realize how good the Northwestern defense was. Um, So when you miss one of your top targets against one of the best defenses in the country, yeah, you're probably not going to look quite as good. Um, and I think, you know, to me, I think he rectified that with with what he did in the playoff. So I think it kind of washed all of that out um, to me. But I, I think, yeah, that's a good point. I think that, you know, if you only watch a very limited amount of games, you might not get a complete picture, um, which I think is especially true with the Ohio State offense because it's not very traditional. They have a lot of these option routes that they'll run in the 8 to 15 yard area that Fields kind of has to sit on because he's waiting for the receiver to break it off one way or the other. And it's hard for Fields to always know how the guy's going to break it off based off what the receiver is seeing because the receiver is having to read the defense the same as the quarterback is. And it's 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 tough to be on, you know, perfect timing when you're when you're playing that style of offense. And so with Fields, the other thing that I suspect may be at play here is just the timing of when he's entering the draft from sort of the narrative of the NFL perspective. Josh Allen is in my mind, one of the sort of bigger misses by the draft consensus in recent seasons, just became an incredible player, a player that I think famously played for a bad team in college, wasn't tremendously productive in college, but had incredible tools that everybody knew about. Meanwhile, you kind of have the opposite in Tua Tagalavea, one of the most successful college quarterbacks, maybe not the wow tools that some of the other players had, had a rough rookie season relative to some expectations. Is it possible that Fields is just in the, in the yin and yang or the tug of war between is it better to play for a really good college team with tons of good, you know, blocking and skill talent to prop you up? Or is it better to like play worse for a team with lesser talent, maybe playing better opponents? Like where do you shake out in the yin and yang of that? Do you think is fields maybe being unfairly criticized for having good players around him and being sort of at an advantage every game against his opponents? You know, I think that's an interesting question, but to me, the idea that a guy could be, um, you know, get a ton of benefit of of playing at a program like that, where they have benefits that some of these, some, some other quarterbacks might not have. um, To me, I think that's more worrisome for guys who don't have clear, dominant physical traits. And I think Tua is a good example of this, right? Like Tua's arm is fine and probably at or slightly above the NFL baseline, Um, And he's not a bad athlete. You know, he can kind of move, but he's not a dominant runner and he doesn't have this crazy arm strength, um, you know, in that top 10, you know, NFL category. So it was probably worth wondering, you know, how much of that Alabama offense was hiding some of those things or letting him get away with certain stuff that he might not in the NFL with fields in particular. I don't think that's an issue at all, because like I said, I think he's going to step in and be like a top six or seven athlete at the position, if not better. Um, and I think his arm is going to be among the best in the league too. I think he just has a phenomenal rocket launcher that he's going to be able to throw anything on the field, whether that's in the pocket on the run, um, you know, from 
uh, condensed platforms, you know, dirty platforms, whatever. I think he kind of has these tools that he's going to be able to make the game work, even when the game is not perfect. Whereas I think Takavailoa, you know, the game was always so perfect for him at Alabama that you never really needed him to to use these phenomenal physical tools mm-hmm. um, to make plays. And that, you know, now we've seen in the NFL when he has to make those plays, it's been a little bit tougher on him because he just doesn't have the physical traits that a guy like, you know, like you mentioned, Josh Allen has. Yeah. Okay. I have the last pick. I think this, I'll, I'll mention who I'm going to take here, but then maybe get your perspective on who are reasonable candidates here as well. I'll take Terrace Marshall, wide receiver from LSU. Um, more of the like traditional outside guy, I think 6'3", 205 pounds, 15 yards per reception in college. Uh, comparison playmaker score to Justin Hunter. Uh, I'm not sure if that's sort of how you see him as sort of like a, a leaper that can kind of catch the ball and contested catches type of stuff. But um, I've seen written that he is like a long strider with good top end speed. So maybe a guy that could contribute some touchdowns. Is he like an outside guy in your mind? Maybe like a somebody that could eventually be the number one wide receiver in an offense? Uh, to me, I don't know if you ever want him to be your number one. Um, but I, w- what I will say is that I think there is value in having a number two who is primarily a field stretcher from the outside. Um, you know, I think we've seen this um, with the Packers. Um, Valdez Scantling, I think, is very, very good at that, at being a field stretcher who is not necessarily the number one target in the in the offense, um, but he can play outside and really stretch the field and do a lot of things, you know, open up a lot of things for the offense. So I think if you take him, that's sort of the mold that you're hoping that he can he can fit into. Um, I'm honestly not entirely sure who I would have taken here, but I think another reasonable pick would have been Rondale Moore. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, I I think it really would have probably been down to those two to me. I know a lot of people like probably Kadarius Tony in this area, but I have a very hard time seeing how Kadarius Tony is going to be an actual receiver um, in the NFL, especially early on. So, so I wanted to ask you about Tony because Tony is a, a player that seems to be mocked in the first round ahead of some of these players we've mentioned, even necess- ahead of Bateman in some circumstances. But like he was basically not productive at all until his his most recent season. And it seemed to be a player that Florida had to like, I'm not going to say gadget open necessarily, but like design play specifically to get him the ball in space. Like that gives me like, you know, Tavon Austin type of vibes where a player that isn't going to translate in the NFL because he's not able to like separate uh, just in the natural flow of the offense. Am I getting carried away just based on what I'm reading or are those concerns that you share? No, I think that's absolutely true. And I mean, I'm a Florida guy myself and, and the first, um, you know, three seasons when he was on campus, it was funny because he would have, it seemed like there were like three plays a year that were all gadget stuff, by the way, you know, he was a a guy who they lined up in the backfield a lot or did a like jet stuff with um, when he was on the field. And he would have like three plays a year where you were like, holy crap, why is this guy not getting on the field anymore? Like he's, you know, he'll just rip off this crazy play. And then you see in his, his final year when he actually gets on the field and he was very productive and good for a college player, but you watch his route running and it's very, um, non-traditional is is the nice way that I'll put it um and it it kind of makes sense as to why he wasn't able to get on the field um as you know earlier than he did um like I said I don't think he has a a very good route tree for the NFL right now um I I definitely don't think he's a guy you can play inside and I think if you play him inside um you really cannot like you you know like you said I think you have to really create this space for him I don't think he's going to create it for himself and I don't think he's actually as good of a deep threat as like his speed suggests um I just don't think he's very natural at working those routes 
Um, so he's kind of this guy who's going to be stuck playing in the one to 15 yard area, but he's not actually a good enough route runner to consistently get himself open in that area. Yeah. So you kind of are in this awkward spot where you're taking a six foot gadget player who you maybe think can run routes in two years. Like to me, that's just, it's just not a bet I'm really comfortable making. Even if he's very fun. So even if he's a, a player that gets drafted relatively highly, maybe somebody fantasy player should be a little bit more pessimistic about. The only other thing that I want to bring up with you here is that given how kind of uncertain the wide receivers are at this point, you're probably not hitting a home run anymore. Are there running backs here that start to make more sense? I, mean, I know we don't know landing spots yet, but like I guess consensus top guys that may go next would be like Michael Carter from North Carolina, or maybe Kenneth Gainwell from Memphis, both players that contributed a lot as a receiver, but my read of things is maybe those aren't the type of backs that could be every down backs at the next level. And that's kind of the thing that you're looking for maybe from, from a fantasy perspective, like do either of those guys or maybe somebody else there potentially make sense getting that type of workload or, or is it just kind of a shorter running back class this year? Yeah. To me, I think you're kind of starting to get into the area where a lot of these guys are going to be role players and they can be good role players, but I just, you know, like you said, I don't think a lot of these guys are guys who are going to take on a heavy workload. I think the closest in this range is maybe Trey Sermon, who could be a guy who could take on a heavy workload, but I also don't think he's a particularly great pass catcher um, or a dynamic pass catcher. So you kind of just end up with like, you know, the opposite side of the issue, whereas some of the other guys are maybe better pass catchers, but not going to have this you know huge running workload, whereas Sermon can probably take on a heavy running workload, but is not going to give you a whole lot of value if you're in like a PPR league. So um, I think kind of like you said, this is, probably about where the where the buck stops for running backs i would probably look to to take a handful of more receivers before i really start um thinking about these running backs well perfect derek this was tremendous it was great to get your your insights on all this um before we wrap up why don't you tell everybody where they can find all of your draft coverage i guess i'll start first by teasing that football outsiders is going to do a round one recapped video special right after the first round of the draft in uh ends around probably 11 30 p.m if I can stay up that late, I'm a very early to bed, early to rise person, Derek, this is going to be a struggle. So hopefully you can carry us in that respect. But what what else do you have going on? Where can people see and read your work? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I mean, I'm excited for that show. I think that's going to be really fun. Um, haven't done anything like that in a while. But um, everyone can follow me at QB class on Twitter. Um, you can check out some of my, you know, NFL and now NFL draft stuff at Football Outsiders. I've been doing I actually just dropped today a column on Zaven Collins. Um, the linebacker from Tulsa. So obviously not very fantasy related, but you can go check that out but if you, you want. You've done deep dives with a lot of the big quarterback prospects and some of these other right. guys that will be fantasy related. So definitely check that out, everybody. Right, absolutely. And then um, for some other NFL draft stuff, if you want some more focused NFL draft stuff, I also do some work at NBC Sports Edge. Perfect. Well, um, we'll probably on the podcast circle back after the draft once we actually know landing spots and kind of do this exercise again. Um, but until then, you know, please subscribe, rate, and review. Please check out uh, our, our video post-draft and audibles at the line. Oh, with that video, we'll also include Aaron Schatz and Mike Tanier. So like some real guys uh, in addition to, to poor little me as well. But check that out. Check out the podcast. And we'll look forward to talking to you next time. Mm-hmm.